0: Listen to the word of God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we now ask for prayer for your servant Tracy. We love him, Lord, and we know that you do also. But with, with, be with him as he delivers the message this morning. Give him the words and the voice to proclaim your gospel. Lord, give us the ears to hear and the ability to understand the message and the gift of grace that you offer to us all. Bless Tracy and this message this morning. Amen. In The word of God is
1: not silent on racism. And I will not be either. And neither will we. I don't know if you read the article this week in uh, Christianity Today online by Ed Stelzer and Andrew McDonald, but uh, one of the paragraphs they wrote really summed up how I was feeling in one of the moments this week. It says, I don't expect the president to be a pastor, but when he picks up a Bible... I expect more than what I saw from him yesterday. Imagine, instead, if the president had opened the Bible and read words about justice, or even words of comfort. More than the greatest poetry and prose, God's word can heal our deepest wounds and cut through the most hardened hearts. On those steps in Washington, the president held what I believe could have been part of the answer to our national Grieving. By definition, evangelicals have a high regard for the Bible, but the, that authority comes from the words inside. We look to Scripture to change lives, not to score political points. Our nation is in a crisis, and the last thing we need is a closed Bible. What our country needs now more than ever is the gospel. Not a gospel of platitudes, not a gospel that says, believe, say a prayer, and you go to heaven. But the whole gospel, not a gospel that is compartmentalized into one section of your life, but a gospel that understands that God is in control of everything. That he is sovereign, and that he is going to redeem and reconcile all things. That's the kind of gospel we need, that Jesus is Lord of all. That Jesus is about his mission and salvation is about reconciled relationships. As we've been learning for those that have been going through the helping without hurting, studying, we have restored relationships. God is about restoring relationships with himself. We have restored relationships with our own self, with others, and the rest of creation. That everything about all those relationships is broken. And God is on the work of restoring those things in us and for us and through us. This, this gospel that's articulated in Colossians, right? In Colossians 1.20. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile unto himself all things on earth or in heaven, making peace, that shalom that we've been talking about, by the blood of the cross. You know in, in John 14.6 that Jesus says, Jesus is the truth, the way, the life, and he is the way. He is the way. We need to remember that right now. The way to reconciliation is the way. Jesus. Not through escalation of violence. Not through breaking the will of people. Not through staged photo ops. Not through platitude. Not through tweets. Not through Facebook messages. Not through threats. Not through increased police presence or military. But following Jesus, his way, which is the narrow way. Do I sound angry? If I don't, I'm not expressing myself enough. I'm angry that anyone, whether our president, whether a pastor, whether another brother or sister, would use a Bible to harm another person. Or to justify, to harm another person. This isn't a sermon about a political rant or a political sermon. I seriously do not have enough time or energy to tell you everything I like or dislike about our president, about its politics, about Biden and his politics, about our Congress and his politics. That would really be a full-time job upon a full-time job. And I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in whether you're a Republican or Democrat or a Whig or a Green Party. Look, all the parties have not done anything to resolve systematic, systemic racism in our country. That's the truth. What I want is the gospel proclaimed in my life, in your life, In the life of this church, in the life of this city, in the life of this greater community, in the life of this country, and the whole world. Because I know the power of this gospel. Because I know the truth of it. I know the God behind it. Because this gospel is of critical importance. You and I know, and I spoke about it on Wednesday, that Satan does not want this gospel to be proclaimed that he wants to narrow it down to this is just a part of what the gospel means. This is what it means, enjoy your gospel, enjoy your church life in that part. But that's not what it is. The gospel is, transforms everything about ourselves. It does transform our culture. It fixes a culture that is broken by broken people. Principalities and powers of the world want us and deceive us. I don't want us to be focused on that gospel. But this church, you and I have a duty to proclaim and to live out the gospel to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our leaders, and to our president. Regardless of whether our country's leadership will open up the Bible and grieve with us, we will. We will open it up and we will grieve. We will open up the Bible and enter into healing and enter into reconciling relationships. We will read the message of Jesus. We will follow Jesus. Which means, if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't be silent. Which means, we can't be bystanders. 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17 says this, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honoring everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We are given a freedom that is in Christ. Not given by a constitution, not given by a government, but given by God alone. Inalienable rights to us. Whether recognized by any person or not, they're given to us by God. And we are to use that freedom, not to cover up evil, but to expose evil. Jesus always exposes evil. And we do that, right, as it says, by living as servants. Honoring everyone. And when we expose people's sins and when our sins are exposed, that is honoring to us but it helps us to transform. It helps that gospel to penetrate. This is why I want to open up the Bible to Psalm 13. And as I talk about uh, on Wednesday about beginning to learn what lament is and how to lament. The way of lament. As I said, there's, there's over a third of the Psalms are lament. And there are all kinds of different ways to lament. And Psalm 13 is a nice kind of Way of beginning to understand how to lament and also understanding the purpose of lament. God's desire outcome from lament, not right away, but is to get us to trust Him. To cry is human, to lament is Christian. And lament for God and His instruction for us is the beginning of action. Lament is a different form, it's a different than crying because it's a form of prayer. It's directed to God, it's in relationship with God. It's not a solitary action, it's a communal action. And it's meant to be done not just between you and God, it's also meant to be invite a community involved you to do this lament with you, grieve with you. Jesus models grief in his life and he models lament in his life. Jesus was a model for us in the way of repentance. Remember, he was baptized in repentance. What did he have to repent for? Not for any of his sins, but he had to repent for all of our sins. So he modeled a life of repentance from beginning to end, which is what our life should be. From beginning to end, a path directed towards God, turning away from the way we were going to the way we weren't. Which implies that there was a direction that we were going that was not correct. And there was ways that we did not understand that wasn't correct. And that God slowly reveals those to us. And we begin to turn back and go to him. Jesus models this life of repentance for us. And he models lament. Lament. In the garden of Gethsemane. He laments lots of places in scripture. But in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus invites his friends. His closest friends. To lament with him. That's what he's doing in the prayer in the garden. He's lamenting to the father. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them. My soul is very sorrowful. Even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I mean, he says this three times to his friends. Will you grieve with me? Will you come and pray with me? Will you lament to the Father with me? I'm troubled. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. My soul is sorrowful. Will you join me? And of course, we know the disciples failed to stay awake in that moment. Failed to stay present. And then in that garden, we know Jesus prayer prays a raw prayer, uh, modeled a bit after Psalm 13, Just to me quickly paraphrase what he says, right? Jesus says, Take this cup away from me, take this path, take this death, take this burden of me carrying their sins away from me. Nevertheless, he eventually gets to nevertheless. I will trust you. I will obey you. I will do it. Why should we enter into lament with protesters? Or I could say even harder than that. Why should we enter into lament with people that riot? Not saying that all protesters riot, but let's, we're supposed to love those that we don't even agree with, right? We're supposed to love our enemy. Well, love people that act in violence, Can you lament with them? Can you lament with people that you know? With brothers and sisters? Can you lament with people in this congregation that are hurting? That's easier for you to do, right? I I can understand that. But maybe people that you even disagree with. Can you lament with them? I don't think I have to say this. But I'm going to. We as Christians we don't support the use of violence. Period. We don't use support the use of violence against any human. Period. We don't support breaking up any of the Ten Commandments. Period. We know, we know that the vast, vast Vast majority of protesters are not doing that. Period. Lamenting with protesters, lamenting with our brothers and sisters, lamenting with even people that are rioting, that are angry, that are upset and are physically showing it, doesn't make us against people who are Police. It doesn't. Because we know we are to love all people. In fact, we have our friend Brian McNally, who is a police officer. I cannot know a more gentle soul than Brian. We love Brian. Doesn't make us against Brian. We ought to pray for them, we ought to pray for everyone. But in particular, we need to lament. And I know I, I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say this because I think sometimes we get confused. Human life is greater than anything else in creation. I'll say it again. Human life is greater. It's more important than your pet's life. I'm not saying they're not important. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying human life is greater. Human life is greater Than jobs. Human life is greater than an economy. Human life is greater than property. We need to be in right relationship with all those things, but human life is greater. I think, and I know I can, but I think you can too, identify people who get angry. We get angry. And there's lots of things that we get angry about. And I know in my heart there is a thin line of my actions and my anger. And when they cross to be unproductive and sinful for me. But I understand why people resort to things that are unproductive in their anger and outward actions. I think you understand it too. I also think you understand when your anger rises up. And you know you need to express it. That's not wrong. Anger is not wrong. It can be, but it's not always wrong. There are things in us when we see injustice that rise up in us in anger. Usually it's when injustice happens directly with us, and so we rise up with anger. How dare you do that to me! But we also have a rise up when injustice happens to others. It should anger us. We know. That protesters are angry. And they're angry about something. Maybe you don't know what that something is. Maybe we don't know what that something is. But there's people in our congregation. There's neighbors of yours that are angry. So we ought to love them. Period. We ought to love them. Period. And a starting point to love anyone is to listen. Listen to understand and not respond. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know why you feel that way. It helps me begin to understand you a little better. And that is, that is relationship 101. I, I want to listen to understand, and I want to understand why you feel that way, not to respond, not to correct it, not to improve it, just so I understand. And when you begin to understand, you can begin to enter into grief. Here's what I know and what I've learned and what I'm happy to be stand to be corrected about. This protest isn't about George Floyd being murdered. I mean, it is, but it's much bigger than that. It is about the countless unnamed and tragic forgotten names. It is about... Systemic racism in our country that has gone on for centuries and centuries, even before this country was founded, racism, actually race was created on the shores of this land. And so a way to oppress people was created. I mean, people have been oppressed since the beginning, but through racism has been on, on this land. Systemic racism, maybe it's a new word, maybe it's hard for you to understand. It is hard to identify and solve because no singular person or entity is responsible. It's kind of a snowball effect, right? Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, decisions are made that skew a system to to devalue certain people while blinding others to that devaluing. This is the work of the evil one. This is what he does, and he's done it since that moment in the garden, to deceive. To deceive us, to say, well, it's not really like that. God didn't really say like that. Racism isn't really like that. Well, we always haven't been racist. We're not racist now. Satan uses our sin to blind us, blind us from truth and the reality around us. Sin that is passed down from generation to generation, not only blinds us from sin, but actually normalizes sin. And that's systemic racism. Systemic racism creates implicit bias in all of us. Implicit bias, just for you, maybe that's a new term as well. Maybe it's a term you begin to hear. Here's a very generic way of talking about implicit bias. It is ideas and beliefs that you are unaware of. Because it has been normalized and ingrained in the systemic systems and culture that surround you. Everyone has implicit bias. Everyone has implicit bias in the world. Because we all grow up in certain ways, in certain households, certain cultures, in certain ways in communication. Everyone does that. And here's what you need to know. There is systemic issues everywhere in all places which create implicit bias. In our country in particular, in this moment, we're talking about there is systemic racism that has started before the foundation of the country which has continued on, that has created and Over 400 years of implicit bias in some of us, in all of us. Things we don't know and things we don't understand because it's not our experience. I'm giving you an example. This is kind of a clear example as I can get uh, on this. And some of you might freak out. Don't freak out when I say this. I want to explain it clearly. The slogan, Make America Great Again, is embedded with implicit bias. Because if you just re- say that, like, well, why wouldn't we want America great again? Or who would be argue against that? But the problem is, is that you might have a bias. You think, man, America is not great now, but it was great. But there are some people that America was never great for. Why would they ever want to return to that? That's implicit bias. Not realizing that some people, when they hear that phrase, make America great again, regardless of whether it's politically associated with anyone, it's the same. America has never been great for me. It's never been great for my culture. never been great for my people. Why would I ever want to go back? It's not great now. Are you going to understand how implicit bias works? And we could, we could have a, a phrase that says, make America great. And then we can actually argue and discuss... What actually would make America great because we can all agree America's got great now. And then we could talk about why it's not great for you. That would be a better slogan. But implicit lies infects us all. Even this idea, right? The economy structure before our country was even founded was based on devaluing people. People got wealthy, people benefited, and not just the rich, but all white people benefited from using black people, Native American peoples, as forced enslaved labor. And that has gone on. And that has not changed. Even today, when you can say, right, the economy and the unemployment has improved, well, not for black people. It went up. How is that good news? In fact, the difference of un- unemployment rate: 35 percent more black people are unemployed compared to white people. We don't think of it that way, do we? That's implicit bias. We' think, like, "Ah, the economy just by itself would be good. But here's the problem: All economic systems are broken and created by broken people, and ours has to be just ingrained with systemic racism. That's just one and few examples. It's ingrained, and we need to address it. We can't just address it by saying we need to fix the economy. We need to fix the systemic issues in our country. We need to do that with the gospel. By starting to point out our implicit bias, and we start to understand our implicit bias by actually listening. By actually entering into lament, that is one of the reasons why we're going to enter into lament with our brothers and sisters, so we can learn and be exposed to our implicit bias. Lament brings us to understanding. Understanding brings things, helps us understand things we do not understand about ourselves, about our culture, about the world around us that works. It exposes our implicit bias. That allows us, if we're willing to confess those things. And when we are willing to confess those things, whether it's individual, whether it's corporate, whether it's generational or foundational sins, we can confess those things and we can begin to repent, turn the other way and find a new path. And when we begin to repent and turn back to God, transformation begins to happen. I mean, transformation is involved in all that, but the end game is Christ-likeness, maturity. The other reason, as, as stated before, why we enter into Lent, not just uh, to get to transformation, not just to reveal things we don't understand and to confess and to repent, but first of all, because Jesus models this. Jesus models this and God asks us to do this. He asks us to enter lament with each other. He calls us to enter into lament with each other. So we're going to do this. God calls us to express our doubts, our fears, our frustrations, our sorrows. And the purpose of all that God is telling us is I want you to say them. Say them hard to me. And I want you to eventually learn that you can trust me. It does not show a lack of faith When we lament. In fact lament. Is the first and proper response to recognize. The sin that's in us. And around us. When we begin to see through the proper lens of God. And this broken world that's in us. The broken heart that's in us. It should move us to lament. And it should move us to confess and repent. The love that God has shown us and gives us, moves us not to judge, not to solve, but to enter into comfort and enter into lament. Which brings us to Psalm 13. Today, the model of our lament. Psalm 13, 1 through 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These are the words of David. David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, not a perfect man. We know David entered a lot of deep sin. But after a man's own heart who knew, had an intimate relationship with God. And he starts this psalm. There's no niceties in this psalm. He doesn't say, dear gracious and loving God. He says, God, listen up. There's no niceties in this. And then he asks him four questions. In English it's five, but it really it's actually just four questions. And they express raw emotion that actually accuse God. Did you hear him? How long will you forget me? Will it be forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It's accusing God of being absent. Being irresponsible. He accuses God of being unfaithful to his covenant promise to David. And David squarely fixed that blame on God. Their relationship is not okay at the moment. This is a psalm of disorientation. A psalm that expresses that our, the world is not the way we, we thought it was. And everything is up in the air. And, it, and David is being in a season of disoriented. I think we can understand that, can't we? Seasons of disorientation. Are we in one now? Haven't we been one in for a while? With this coronavirus. And now with this race issue that's coming right to our forefront. It's disorienting to us. It's upsetting to us. These are raw emotions being exposed. It is okay to be angry. And it is it okay to be angry with God? I need to say that twice for some people. It is okay to be angry with God. And it's okay to express that anger to God. In fact, he tells you to do it. And he tells you to do it in very raw ways. This Psalm thirteen, this is not this is not whitewashing his anger and right, he is directly accusing God and blaming God. How much, how long must I take counsel my own soul, God? Basically, because you are doing nothing. Where are you? And how long will my enemies prevail over me? Many might be thinking in their life about racism and how long that might go on and how long it will prevail. How long will violence against black people be perpetrated in this country? Perpetrated in this country? When will there be justice for all? How long? When will there be equal dignity? When will there be rights that are inalienably given by God will be recognized by all? people. How long God? Where are you? What are you doing? Will you enter into that kind of conversation with God? Will you turn to God in your anger? Or will you turn away from God in your anger? Will you turn to God in your pain and your <laughs> sorrow and your grief because he's inviting you to do so? He's modeling you to do so. Will you bring your complaint and let God have it? Will you do that in community, together? Don't do it by yourself. Do it in community. Don't just do it by yourself and then move on. I'm angry with God, and so I'm going to have nothing to do with God. Be angry with God and express it to God. Will you be willing to enter into into listening to the lament of others? Will you be willing to learn and share their pain? This is what Jesus does. This is the the point of the incarnation. Jesus comes and shares our pain. And he listens. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet, without sin, Jesus condescends and comes down and is with us. Verses 3-4, through David goes on to say, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over them. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This time, David actually appeals to the Lord my God. There's a more personate, personal, more intimate relationship connection, right? Can he upstand to like, the Lord, my God, are you listening? Are you paying attention to me? And David asks boldly in his grief. He doesn't just tell him his grief. David then asks God boldly in his grief. He says, consider me. Pay attention to me. Answer me, God. Stop being silent. Lighten up my eyes. Enlighten me, God. Tell me why. Stop being silent. He asked boldly. David's saying, right, I'm at the end of my rope. I cannot cope. Answer me. And then David gives God motivation to intervene. And this is what he says. This is what at stake, God. Remember me or I'm going to die. Remember me or evil wins. Remember me or, heaven forbid, evil will rejoice in victory. David is, is, is seemingly telling God what he needs to know about his situation. Implying that God doesn't know. Will you be bold with God? Will you tell him what you need? And what he needs to know about your situation? Not just, not just your emotion, but what he needs to know about your situation. I mean, we know he knows all things. But in real relationship, God is actually saying, I want you to tell me those things. Tell me what you think I don't know. Tell me what you think I need to know. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of him telling us to do that, he's actually doing something in us. Will you be bold to tell others what we need to know. Will you allow us to lament with you? Will you be bold enough to ask what you, what you and I need to know? Will you be bold enough to listen to those that need to be listened to? Will you be bold enough to enter into someone's grief, creating space for them? And there's not a pause in this psalm, but I think when we get to this point in our life, there's a pause. There's a deafening pause, and then we wait. It's it's kind of that pause, I think, from, from Good Friday to Easter, this, this emptiness, this empty space where we think God is silent and not present. And we get that in our lament and in our grief. There seems to be a pause in our experience, a lament, and it seems to linger and stay forever. That moment of grief never seems to leave when you're in it. And at times, we wait for God and to respond, and we wait, and we wait, and like, oh, it is forever. Hence, we say, where are you, God? And waiting can be painful, and it can be hard, and it can be tiresome. It's not always easy to live in those waiting periods of our life. And I think after verse 4, there's a, there's a pause in our life as we lament. As we express our emotions, as we ask boldly, and we wait. Our God is long-suffering, and he is patient. And then it comes to verse 5 and 6. I don't think it happens very quickly in our life, but we get there. David says, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice he doesn't take away anything that he said. He said, but regardless of all that, I will trust you. This is, for, this is a song from disorientation from God that moves us into a new orientation. <laughs> He doesn't bring us back to the old orientation. He doesn't bring us back to the old way or to the good old ways or some kind of nostalgia of how we were with God. He brings us and shows us a new way and the new orientation. He moves us from death to life, not back to death again. David, at the end, makes it clear his source of hope and help. This is my source and source of help. Is your steadfast love, God? Your salvation. That's why I'm coming to you. That's why I'm talking to you. God is our hope. God is our healer. God is our savior. God is our redeemer, and God is our reconciler of all things. In this moment, as well, He makes all things good for His children. It's just that in that moment, a lament and grief. Sometimes it takes forever. In our opinion. In our experience. Notice how he uses the word. He says I trust it. It's past tense. I trust it. It's not wavering. I trust it in you God. And then this is a future and present tense. My heart shall rejoice. It's ongoing. My heart will sing. I will rejoice and sing ongoing in the future. Now and ongoing. And then he gives the motivation. Because David recognizes God has dealt bountifully with him. God has given more than David could ever imagine. He has provided generously. More than he can deserve. He has been good to me. In the midst of your grief and lament. I hope you understand that God has been good to you. And God is good all the time. In the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of pain, grief, and hurt, will you allow yourself to eventually trust God's love for you? Will you allow yourself, not rushing, will you allow yourself to praise and to rejoice in him? Will you allow yourself to understand that he gave himself for you? That he loves you with an unfailing love. And sometimes all we have is his unfailing love. God asks us and gives us lament. So we can be reoriented to trust him and his love. So we can be transformed into his likeness. Into his son. His love his character, his way. This is how we're going to lament, how we're going to lead into lament as a community. It's just a starting point. First of all, I encourage you to join me in a day of lament tomorrow, a day of fasting, prayer, and lament tomorrow. You could join me in any way possible. Tomorrow morning, Morning, I'll be on eight, a Facebook and we'll start there. And I uh, just encourage you uh, to fill your day with fasting from uh, food and water in whatever way that's healthy for you. But we, and, and fasting and then lament, it's not just fasting from things, but it's, it's feasting uh, on God. So maybe you need to fast from social media. Can we all agree that we all need to fast from news and social media? What a great day to do that tomorrow. And can we feast on God's word for a day and pray and lament and talk this way with God? Can we do that? And there's lots of ways to help focus your time together. Our YouTube channel, go to our YouTube channel. There's over 50 songs that Patrice has put up there on Wake Up and Worship. There's almost about 20 songs on evening, on evening praise you can do. Uh, you can listen to back worship services. You can just listen to, to about 12 sermons. There's lots of ways to fill your day with God's word. Tomorrow, open up the Bible and read it. And pray to God. Journal to God. Ask him. Four o'clock we'll also have our uh, day of uh, our Zoom prayer. You can join Jody on that, and we'll lament together as that as well. On Tuesday, we're going to start a book club, uh, Tuesday night book club at 7 p.m, uh, the book we're going to be reading, uh, John Perkins', "One Blood: Parting Wades, Parting Words: The Church on Race and Love." Uh, if you don't have the book by this Tuesday, still join us uh, because we're going to, we''ll actually We'll begin the conversation and then begin the reading this week as well. Uh, so 7 p.m. on Zoom. You can get the link on our webpage. I really encourage you to participate in this. We need this whole church, as many voices, the diversity of this church to participate. We need to hear people and we need to hear their lament so we can begin to repent and to confess and to understand. The third thing is reach out. Reach out to someone you know someone in this congregation, a neighbor, a family member, and ask how they're doing. Ask how they can be loved by you. Ask if they're maybe even willing to explain their experiences and hurt with you. Listen. Listen. Enter into their grief. And the fourth thing, I want you to tell me and I want you to tell the elders of this church what else we can do. How else Can we lead in this manner? How else can we serve you in this manner? We want to hear from you. The answer to systemic racism, the answer to the implicit bias, is the gospel lived out in our lives. The good news that Jesus is making all things new, brand new, not like they were before, brand new. The people of God entering into and living out that transformation. Revelation 21.4, we know this hope. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The answer is in the Bible. Words of true justice words of true comfort, words of grace and love, let us open up. Let us open it up and read it. Let us open it up and read it to each other. Let us open it up and meet the Prince of Peace and encounter Jesus. Let us open it up and live it out. Let us open it up and follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let us pray.